It's been so good to hear those stories, uh, really, that are our stories, stories that could be your story as well as we go through this teaching series called Elemental. Hey, you might not know the name Jacob Rosenberg. You're like, did I go to high school with him? I don't know. Uh, But he is one of the most famous videographers and photographers in the skateboarding world. Don't worry, I'm not going to spend 10 minutes talking about skateboarding. Don't worry. But he began, interestingly enough, as a high schooler at a skateboarding camp, and uh, he, at the skateboarding camp, got in so much trouble that he got the name Jake the Janitor because he was disciplined with the mop. Because he did so many out-of-bounds things, he had to clean up everything while everybody was doing something else that was fun. And to make matters worse, halfway through this skateboarding camp, he broke his leg as well. So there was Jake the Janitor with the broken leg and the mop. And at the end of the skateboarding camp, there were all these professional skateboarders coming in to record this video that was anticipated. And so all of his friends that he had made throughout the course of this camp were skateboarding with these professional skateboarders, mixing it up with the pros. And there was Jake on the sidelines. And the director of the camp went up to him and said, would you like to film? And Jake said, sure put the mop aside, grabbed the camera, uh, did his best to record what he could do of this video, and then six months later, uh, VHS, do you remember those, was uh, found in his mailbox. The video was done, fully edited there, and he popped it in the camera, maybe saw, I think that was one of my clips, but at the end in the credits, filmers, it said, Jake the janitor. (laughs) Jake the janitor. The person who put the video together did not need to put his name in the credits. And so for him, he saw affirmation. He saw being seen. He was known. He thought, maybe I have a little bit of a gift. So that little thread there of affirmation became a career as he followed that thread throughout his rest of his life. He's worked in films in Hollywood, in commercials, in skateboarding, in all sorts of sports because somebody put his name in the credits. In a recent interview, he, uh, he said something to the effect of, who does stuff like that? Who, who does stuff like that? Who puts a punk kid's name in the credits when they don't need to? And it, this thought came in my head. It's like, that's the role of the church, to put someone's name in the credits, to look at the person's life whether they're a punk kid making all sorts of mistakes or somebody that doesn't, you know, is new to a community or somebody that's been around the community and is trying to find something of significance and something that might, God might be calling to them or, or something else to, to see someone and to say, I see this in you. It's the role of the church, this role of spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters to put the name in the credits. We're talking about purpose today. And I, I can't think of a better beginning to this idea of purpose than uh, this idea of like seeing something in someone and calling it out, finding the gold in a person. We've been in this teaching series, though, for like six weeks, looking at the vision and values of Anchor and connecting them to the life, death, uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. The vision and values of Anchor, the ministry of Jesus, we see a tight rope connected to these two things. And uh, as we look at purpose today, we're going to be looking at the last passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. If you have a Bible, you can open to it. It's all also going to be on the screen. 
And in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I want to just stop right there. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Let me just tell you, if you came into this space with questions, you're not alone and welcome. Right? If you came into this space with doubts, if you are wondering where is your faith, you can't find it on that map of here you are, you're trying to, you have more questions, you're like, where am I? I'm not sure. You're okay here. You're welcome here. Jesus, the 12, the 11 disciples, they come to him and they're worshiping him. And then it's interestingly enough, it says, but some that were worshiping him had questions. They doubted. You can belong here even if you have questions about where you're at with your belief. This is a place where you can rediscover belief, you can find it for the first time even as you're finding community. Going on, it says, then Jesus came to them. I love this picture. Jesus says, he moves towards them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're going to be looking at three different expressions of purpose today in this time as we look at the Scripture, and the first is what I'm calling our shared purpose, our shared purpose as Jesus followers. Now, uh, anytime you're a part of a community, you share in something together, and that's like necessarily, I mean, to be a community, you have to participate in something common. That's the very word community, calm. It comes from the, the same word with common. So to participate in community means you have to share in something common. Us Halfordies, our Halfordy home, you know, uh, when our kids were young, you know, they had this challenge where sometimes one would hit the other. I think I'm alone in this. I'm the only parent who has ever had to deal with this back of the car, coming like this, knocking like that. We see them, and then we hear them frustrated with each other. Parents, you know what it's like. And so we developed this phrase. Halfordies don't hit. We hug, tickle, and kiss. That's all we do. <laughs> Halfordies don't hit. Hey, you can hug each other. You can tickle each other, you can kiss each other, but you can't hit each other because that's what it means to be a Halfordy. We're sharing in this. Now, uh, I'm at the interesting point uh, where we're realizing this has an expiration date. Um, <laughs> I don't want my 11-year-old daughter going into school hugging and tickling and kissing everyone. Also, not COVID safety, I guess. But to be a part of a community means you share in something. You participate in something together. And I love this because it pushes against the kind of like the cultural individualism of you can't tell me what to do, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it, blah, 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 which has far less to do with Jesus and much more to do with kind of our American cultural moment, right? I love how it pushes against that. So Jesus says, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded to you. He's, he's not saying unless you're an Enneagram 9 or unless you don't want to 
or unless you haven't had the perfect cup of coffee in the morning. He's like, no, this is like what Jesus followers do. We do it in a variety of different ways, but it's what we do. It's what Jesus followers do. One thing kind of maybe looking a little bit more at this passage of Scripture is this, uh, is seeing how the all of Scripture is like interconnected. And I want to press into this. This is like a little theological, biblical kind of like digging, so stay with me. Because I, but I think that there is this cultural understanding that the Old Testament is kind of like this autonomous thing and the New Testament is this autonomous thing. But really, like when you look at it, it is one story from Genesis to Revelation with many authors composed over thousands of years. And the more you look at Scripture, you realize that it's actually one story rather than kind of like a bunch of just are two different testaments that are in, independent of each other. And so check it out. So Jesus has just told the disciples, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, all ethnos, of all ethnic people groups, of all, all tribes and tongues. He's just said that. Fill the world with the knowledge of me that I have come to rescue, redeem, and restore. Fill the world with that knowledge. Go tell people about the way, the truth, and the life. Do that. And then very, in, the, in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, we see something very similar in language. God says, let us make them in our image, male and female. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. What is that saying? Fill all of creation with my image. Some theologians call that the cultural mandate, to fill all of creation with image bearers and the way, what it looks like to rule and reign like an image bearer, like God would. The idea of like an artist looking at her creation and, and saying, wow, that reflects my vision, values, my sense of beauty that Genesis is, is God is saying in Genesis, look, when I want to look at the creation, I want to look and see that it is a reflection of who I am, my idea of hospitality, generosity, love, uh, peace, all of those things. And this is, this is what is interrupted by sin. So we see in Genesis the creational call to fill the world with image-bearingness. And we see in Matthew the call of new creation to interrupt sin, to fill the world with the way of Jesus, the culture of Jesus, the peace of Jesus. This is really from A to Z, the same mission of God. And there is a big reason why. I mentioned sin and, and, and how that plays a major role and, and what we are doing as disciples going and announcing the rescuing, redeeming work of Jesus that it doesn't have to stop with brokenness. It doesn't have to stop with addiction. It doesn't have to end, the story doesn't have to end there. That's what it means going out into all the world, announcing the rule and reign and, and way of Jesus. But the first reason why is, is, is really just because, like, Jesus commands it. So check this out. This is going to be revelatory. So just, like, if you, whatever you need to do, edge of the seat, sit on your hand. I don't know what you need to do, but just this is going to be revelatory. You know, as Jesus followers, one of the main things that Jesus followers do is follow Jesus, right? Follow Jesus. That means we don't follow whatever news channel we like as, a, as the source of authority, ultimate source of authority. We don't follow, like, whoever has 50K followers on Instagram that we really, you know, like, we're following. You know. we, we follow Jesus. And so when Jesus gives a command, we respond to that command because we follow Jesus, right? So when Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, He's inviting us to respond to his command. 
Second thing is, is this word called salvation. It's a kind of a churchy word, but Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is no other name under heaven that men and women will be saved but the name of Jesus. So if we really are take a step, like, like a look at it, and realize that life is short and eternity is long, and Jesus says the only way to experience the forever peace with him is through coming under his leadership, then we have to take seriously that message and recognize that only as we go into all the world announcing the rule and reign of Jesus, that, 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 that people find real peace that lasts not just in this life, but into eternity. That's the second reason. Command, salvation. And then the third is shalom. Shalom is this Hebrew word for peace, which means so much more than peace. It means like flourishing. This like when, when, you, when you're coming alive, when everything is right, this holistic sense of peace. And here's this principle that I think is worth remembering. It's that the quality of the community is defined by what the community gathers around. So if a community gathers around financial gain, there probably will be selfish ambition, maybe a little backstabbing, some aggressiveness and assertiveness. Why? Why? Because the center of the community is just getting richer. So if the center of the community is looking better, depending on whatever cultural standard we're using, there'll probably be selfish motives woven in there and ego and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because the center of the community is just looking better. But if the center of the community is Jesus, the quality of the community rises. And here's the thing, the, worst, the greatest indictment of a church is if you don't see shalom as a feature of it. Because that means that the church has started moving to gathering around something other than Jesus. Because when the church gathers around Jesus, the quality of the community rises. These are three reasons why it's important to make disciples, because Jesus is the only one who is the Prince of Peace, and so when we gather around Him, we see a peace that is offered like no other community, like nothing else. It's important to note, like, when we think, I, for me, in periods past, like, the idea of, like, going and making disciples or, or this passage, sometimes it feels like, oh my gosh, now I've got to add something to my schedule. But, like, the beauty is, and I want you to know this, the beauty of, is, is that this isn't something you add to your schedule. It's something that is woven in your life. Discipleship, making disciples, it shows up in your family. We're mom and dad, tired though they may be, around the dinner table say, hey, kids, where did you see God today? Oh, you don't know? You don't know? That's a hard, hard question. I get it. It's a hard question. But, but okay, here's how I saw God moving today. Did you notice anything like that? Or it's when before the kids go to bed, they, you, know, you, you, you come together and you're like, hey, let's read this verse as a family together and just share one thought on it. It's woven into your life. 
It's something that isn't something added to your life, but it's a part of the normal rhythms that you already inhabit. Making disciples, our shared purpose is not an add-on, but a woven in. It happens in the city where a coworker confides in you, my marriage is in trouble, I don't know what to do. And that being a signal of trust, it means that you invite the person into relationship, whether on a walk or a lunch, and you share and you listen and you are patient and you pray. And that, even before the person becomes a Jesus follower, is the work of discipleship because you're teaching them the way of Jesus even before they may accept the person of Jesus. Discipleship happens before a person becomes a follower of Jesus. It happens in the church. In our anchor kids wing, there's discipleship happening right there as scriptures are being opened and kids are asking questions. I'm a recipient of that and I'm thankful. Many of you are as well. It happens in lobby conversations. When lobby conversations bloom into lunch appointments or to text messages or to phone conversations where life is passed back and forth and and prayer is prayed, that's like what we're talking about. Discipleship is not an add-on, but a woven in to our normal life. We see this. There are marks of it, many marks of it, like, or just even in our community that I want to point out. This past week, we had, like, uh, we're, we're in January, we're launching Celebrate Recovery. Many of you have heard of it. Um, there's a, a level of excitement there. Okay, great. Here's what Celebrate Recovery is. It's this 12-step program to help people overcome their hurts, habits, and hang-ups as they follow Jesus and learn what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we're, we're starting to kind of get a core team to really get it together so that we can create a hospitable environment for it in January. And let me just say, like when that launches, discipleship will happen there. People coming under the gracious, peace-filled reign of Jesus, experiencing healing from the hurts, habits, and hang-ups that life has thrown at them. That's discipleship moving in there. Discipleship happens as churches are planted and, and, and communities are, start forming in, in different pockets, in different neighborhoods, in different places. Discipleship happens in anchor groups as lives and share, are shared and, and, and missteps are offered up and, and, and stories are passed on and prayers are prayed and, and people grow in community and really disciple each other. Discipleship happens in all of those places. That's the shared purpose that Jesus says is a part of what it means to be a Jesus follower. But then there's also this uniqueness of purpose. So it's, it's, it's important. There's, there's two aspects of it. We have this shared purpose that all of us participate in as Jesus followers. But then there's this uniqueness of purpose as we look zero in on these two words in this verse, make disciples. The fact is that there's not two disciples that look exactly the same. Right? This isn't kind of like this kind of cultural sentimentality where it's like, no, two snowflakes are the same, you know? That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the simple recognition that your pain, your spiritual gifts, your experience, your family of origin, 
all play a role in your, in your story and what your discipleship experience should look like and who you are as a person. So you being a disciple is different from me being a disciple, and that's a benefit to the church. That's a benefit to the kingdom because diversity is, is, is a benefit to the kingdom. As we share in our common purpose, we have a uniqueness of purpose that is expressed through our, the ways that God has made us and the stories that we have. In fact, the greatest errors in the history of the church have been in missing this. In the era of colonization, a time that, that the church was implicated in and woven in with kind of some nation-state building, uh, many British imperialists sent church organs to West Africa. Hey, you'll need these for your church when you set it up. Can you imagine that? These monstrosities of, of, of kind of like... You know, like, why would we use this? This is a picture of somebody else's expression of worship to Jesus, not mine. Discipleship is not colonization and cloning, but repeatedly bringing someone close to Jesus and seeing what happens. Let me read that again. It's important for us to get this. Discipleship is not colonization and cloning, but repeatedly bringing someone close to Jesus just to see what happens. Some have called this popcorn theology. You can bring a kernel close to the heat and it like shoots out and becomes a popcorn. Right? But the, the picture is clear, right? You bring someone close to the heat and they become something you never maybe would have thought. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is bringing someone close to the heat. Do you guys want to do you guys want to see what happens when that happens? I mean, like, like what else is like, what else excites us? Like, as if you're a follower of Jesus, like, what else gets our blood flowing but seeing somebody come truly alive in the way that God has made them? Not some type of imposed cookie cutter, you look like this, but in like, boom, wow, they are a fully a Jesus follower, clearly following Jesus, but they are also clearly unique in themselves. There is such, like, this is like such a picture of Scripture. There's such uniqueness and personality uh, in Scripture, Peter, an impulsive dolt that becomes an unflinching firebrand as he encounters the Spirit's power. Timothy, a sickly, insecure, but devoted disciple that grows into his role as a leader and pastor through time and experience and wise counsel. Paul, a catalytic and sometimes overly intense dude that only knows how to go at 7,000 RPMs. Lydia, a wealthy, entrepreneurial, single woman who stewards her resources for kingdom advancement. Priscilla and Aquila, a dynamic married couple that operates in shared leadership. Together they disciple Apollos who becomes a silver-tongued preacher and a learned thinker. There is diversity all through Scripture in the expression of purpose. When you look at the diversity of types of disciples in Scripture, it should encourage you, right? Because it means that there is space and there is place for your unique contribution and purpose in the kingdom as we collectively participate in our shared purpose. This is, this, there's like a, a cultural like malformation of this, which makes it all ego and like um, trying to figure out my calling and, 
this actually becomes something that is enticing, but end, ends up becoming overwhelming. I remember as a college pastor for, for a decade, dealing with many college pastors who felt this kind of like, there's this ego thing of like, I need to figure out my calling. It's my calling, my calling. It's like, dude, that will burn you out and overwhelm you. And they're stressed out, maybe from their parents saying, you know, we're paying for your school. You better figure out what you're going to do. And they have to pick a major and all this stress. I got to figure out my calling. And oftentimes I felt like my ministry was just to simply quote Augustine and say, love God and do what you want, right? Because here's the thing, like, as we love God and we do what we want, we oftentimes find what God is calling us to and find the uniqueness that God has made us in. Here's some steps, because we love steps, to figuring out the uniqueness part you'll find that they, aren't, they don't kind of neatly conform to our step mentality, but there's some steps. First step, try a bunch of stuff. I had a friend who um, describes what he thinks every 20, every, everyone in the 20s, they said, you should, just, you should just try to fail a lot in your 20s. You know, for those of you that aren't in your 20s, you know, remember this. You know, like, remember when your 20s, like, everything felt so urgent and necessary and, like, it felt so fatal if you're going to do one thing or not the other thing. It's just, like, you know, I think one of the most important things for people in their 20s to, like, just fail a lot. Because when you fail a lot, you learn a lot. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about God. Right? Just try stuff. When people that are finding a home at Anchor... Uh, you know, I, they say, hey, where do you, where, where, you know, where do, where's the biggest need for, to serve? I want to serve. And I'm like, oh, that's so great to hear. You know, I know Anchor Kids needs a lot of people. And they're like, well, I don't, not, uh. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, uh, you know, but, but I often say just try, try a bunch of stuff. Just try a bunch of stuff. Try stuff, you know? When you try stuff, you learn. Uh, next thing is pay attention to where others affirm you. Where are people putting your name in the credits? Where do people say, hey, did you see yourself there? Holy smokes, you came alive. And here's the other side of that is let's be a church that really affirms people when we see people coming alive. Because here's the thing, like the egotistical side of all of us would refrain from affirming another person because that means drawing attention to them rather than us. But we repent of that egotistical side and point to the others that are shining, right? Let's point to the others that are shining. So where are people affirming you? Third, give yourself some time. Give yourself time. Fourth, pay attention to where you feel joy. Oftentimes, I think Christians, when they experience joy doing something, they think it's something they need to repent of. I think (laughs) that may be the case. But I think oftentimes it's kind of this weird misunderstanding of God. There are things in your life that like, you just might lo- like enjoy because that's part of your story and it's part of how God might use you. Where do you feel joy? Fifth step, be patient with yourself. One of the worst things 
Guys, it's cutting off your purpose because it isn't perfect. Some of us grew up crumpling up our drawings because it didn't look exactly like what we imagined in our head. We often do that with our purpose. We crumple up our purpose because it doesn't look perfect. Be patient with yourself. Sixth, pay attention to where the needs are. What are the greatest needs? Making a disciple, becoming a disciple, is on one hand grabbing a hold of our shared purpose and all that entails. Everything from financial stewardship to evangelism to, to, to caring for the poor, speaking out against injustice, all of those things. This, all the shared purpose that is participating in like something that all the church does in one way or another in various levels. We participate in this and then also, on the other hand, seeing these shared purposes express themselves in your story with your uniqueness, at your development, in your time. And we hold these, both of these things together the shared purpose, and the uniqueness. And we are a better community because of the uniqueness, and we are a community because of the shared purpose. The last point is the, what I'm calling the future of purpose. Jesus ends this section, he says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Um, oftentimes we read our Bibles alone by ourselves in the morning with a cup of coffee or some tea, um, which is a good thing. I recommend it. Um, um, I'm a morning, I'm not necessarily a morning person, but when it comes to reading scripture, I'm a morning person. Um, and so, but we read, when we read our Bibles only by ourselves, lots of times we think the, the you is just a reference to me as an individual, but this is actually a y'all. It's you all, Right? Jesus is talking to a group of people, and the you all is what is mentioned there. So it's important to know, it's like, this is us. So it means like, as we feel like there are roadblocks in our way preventing us from purpose, it means he is with you as an individual, but it means he is with us as a community. As we mess up in the discipleship process, and we will, as we mess up in the discipleship process of like us coming under the leadership of Jesus or, uh, or mess up in when we're discipling somebody else, as we will, it'll happen. He is with you. Jesus says, I will be with you to the very end of the age. He's with you as an individual. He's with us as a group. Don't let your heart be troubled because in this world you may have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He is with us. If something happens in our life at the midpoint of your life that totally throws things off, he is with you, he is with us. This is the promise. And here's this beautiful thing as we, like, as we think about it. I want to maybe just share this quick story from our, my anchor group as we're going through Rooted. And, uh, we were talking about service and gifts and purpose this past week. And at the end, I, I just asked this question, hey, uh, what, so what do you think you know, are your gifts? And where do you come alive? We were talking about all this. And... Um, uh, you know, people said oh, this great diversity of stuff. People want, you know, somebody says, well, I just like making coffee. Is that a spiritual gift? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just, yeah, somebody said yes. <laughs> and two other people said, uh, two other people said, we're really good at making, we, we, were, we have a history of being baristas. And she goes, well, I actually don't know how to make great coffee, but I kind of just like making coffee. And, and I'm like, well, you two should hang out. And then both of you guys are going to be on the coffee team in January when we relaunch it in the lobby. So sorry, you're outed there. Um, 
And then somebody said, I love teaching kids. Like, I, I feel like just when kids get it and I'm able to communicate it in a way, I feel like, I, like something inside of me just like beams with joy. And I'm like, that's beautiful. Other people said, when we pray for others, like sometimes God gives us like images or verses and some, we pass them on. And we've seen that being really helpful for some people. And uh, another person said, you know, I'm, I feel like God's given me the gift of hospitality, but like not always inviting people into my house because that's sometimes kind of hard. But like I invite people into my life and I kind of do it in this way. I can't do it with everybody, but like I feel like it's something that God uses and it was this beautiful picture of like this group. It's really just a microcosm of you. And I, I just kind of did this like uh, zoomed out. I'm like, oh, do you see how powerful that is with all the uniqueness and all the sharedness and in the middle of all this trying to discover who we are and what God's called us to do and how to find our way to make disciples and become a disciple, Jesus said, I'm with you. I'm not leaving you. I'm with you to the very end of the age. And here's the beautiful thing. Because he says he'll be with us to the end of the age, it means that there is another age. So right now, our work is all about redemption. It's all about helping people understand what Jesus has done and the gracious invitation he invites all people, all tribes, all tongues into. But one day... It'll be no longer about repair and redemption, and it'll simply be about reveling in the finished, accomplished, total work that Jesus has done, where the kingdom is not yet, but is already. When it is completely here, and there's no injustice, there's no sin, there's no pain, there's no abuse, there's no toxic cultures, there's no misinformation. There is a king reigning in perfect justice and perfect peace. And around the throne, there is people participating in the uniqueness and the sharedness of a community, of all tribes and all tongues, people from all places, all times in history, people from, uh, that speak various languages, men and women, worshiping Jesus knowing that he alone is worthy. Band, you can come on up, and we're going to participate in a foretaste of that, an appetizer of that now. As we live in the middle right now, where, where, where he is with us, but we don't see him yet as he will be. We're in the middle of it, where our purpose is, we have glimpses of it, but not fully. Where we want to see redemption go farther and repair go farther, but it's not yet fully here in the way that it will be. We get to for, take a, have a foretaste of heaven right now as we sing and as we remember. Underneath your chair, there's communion elements. And this is what communion is if you're new to communion or you need to be reminded. It's a, it's a reminder, it's a physical reminder of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus said at the Last Supper, this is my body, it's broken for you. As he broke the bread. And he took the cup and he poured it out and he says, this is my blood, it's shed for you. It's the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. So, so as long as you gather together, do it in remembrance of me. And, and so as you take that little wafer and you take that juice, you're remembering the sacrificial love of Jesus that did not leave us in darkness, but welcomed us into light. There's prayer stations both there, both sides. And we like to say this, if you have a prayer need, don't keep it hidden. 
It may be somebody you're sitting next to that you pray with. It may be that you go to somebody, one of these prayer stations. It could be anything from physical healing to spiritual a need of a friend. We don't want anyone that needs prayer leaving without prayer. And we're going to sing. So there's three things in here. And as I mentioned, this is a foretaste of the kingdom that is here but not yet fully here. As we step into this song, I want to just pray over us. I just sense that there's people that are, have discounted themselves. So I want to ask, God, would you come in this place? Would you remind all of us that you have something for us? Would you remind all of us that you have something for us? Help us to hear a tap on the shoulder, to feel your, or sense you speaking to us, God, even now. Even now. Help us to know and be reminded of our shared and unique purpose to know that you are with us until the very end of the age.